If you'd like to follow along, um, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. We'll be reading a few verses, um, not the entire passage, but I wanted Josh to read the whole passage uh, to start this morning because it puts it in context. I don't want to take um, the couple verses out of context that I want to use there. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. You know, when Stephen got back uh, from Europe, I asked him, I said, were you ready to come home? Like, you know, were you, were you, you know, three weeks away or three and a half weeks or almost a month, whatever it was, you know, um, did you want to stay or were you ready to get back home? And he sort of hesitated a little bit. And, but he eased into, you know, he said, yeah, I, you know, being out of my normal routine was, for that long was a little weird. Like, I was ready to get back in my, you know, back in my routine going. Um, and if I mischaracterized your answer, you can clarify later. Uh, but, I mean, we, we all kind of identify with that idea on some level. And we call it homesickness. You know, whether we're on vacation for a long time or we're working away from home or we're visiting family for some holiday or something, people... You know, described as being homesick. I'm ready to get home. You know, I've heard people say, "I want to sleep in my own bed," like, and I've heard people even describe their pillows. I want my own pillow. Like, you know, I don't care about the bed, but I need my pillow. Um, they, you know, we get homesick. Um, you know, in a sense, Christians are supposed to be homesick all the time, and that's really what I want to talk about uh, this morning. Um, you know, if you if you look in our reading, I want to look at verses six through eight, Second Corinthians five, in particular. Um, again, sort of pulling it out of out of context a little bit. Uh, beginning in verse six, Paul writes, "Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body." and to be at home with the Lord. So Paul recognizes that our current home is this body, but that our preference should be to be absent from the body and be at home with the Lord. Um, I struggle with that sometimes. Sometimes I get comfortable in this life. I get comfortable in this world. I get comfortable in this body, and I don't want to be out of this body, right? We, we as a people, not necessarily Christians, but just as a race, Humans spend a lot of money staying, trying to stay in this body, right? Um, and I don't mean just like we spend a lot of money trying to avert pain. That's different. Like, I don't want to be in pain. Okay, understand that. But even when death is not going to be very painful, you know, dying in your sleep because of an illness or whatever, we, we, we say, no, I don't want to go downhill. I don't want to die. It's not just averting pain. We spend a lot of effort and staying at home in this body. And I'm not actually saying that that's wrong. Life is a blessing. It's a gift God has given you to use and wield as a tool, right? And so I think you should hold on to it and expend effort in trying to keep yourself healthy and useful in this life, right? But primarily, right, when it's put in front of your face, it's this fear of the unknown, right? Well, when it's not in front of our face, right, I think we should cultivate this idea as Christians that really we're not home, right? And we should long to be home. And what I want to talk about this morning is the promise um, of home, 
that Jesus has made to us. If you want to turn over to John chapter 14, it's, it's similar but not quite the same idea as, as the promise Jesus makes in John 14. Um, reading verses 2 and 3, Jesus is saying to his disciples, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. It's really that second part that I'm referring to as home, right? We understand the difference between a house and a home. Right? There are lots of houses in Atlanta, but I have one home in Atlanta. A house is a structure, and I think there's a difference between a place Jesus is talking about. I'm going to prepare a place right, for you to be. But home is that second part, right? That where I am, you may be also. That's what makes it home, right? Not just a place, but will be where Jesus states. So now the text that I want I want us to look at that's going to be sort of the, the spine or the background for this lesson is in Revelation chapter 3. We're going through, or I'm, I'm going through these, these letters in, in the beginning of Revelation because Jesus makes some outstanding promises. I mean, when, if, you, if you spend enough time thinking about them, they're, all, they're overwhelming, really, when you look at what he has promised, those who overcome. And this is, these are no different. Um, in Revelation chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it's the end of the message to the church at Sardis. And um, we'll, look at, we'll look at some other verses out of there, but I want to focus on the promise that's made. Jesus says in verse 5, Revelation chapter 3, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the three ideas that I want to pull out of this is home is where you get cleaned up. That'll be our first point. Home's where you go to get cleaned up. Home is where you reside by record. It's not just where you happen to be at the time. And home is where everybody knows your name. You're not around strangers. You're around people who know you on a first name basis. So the first idea, getting cleaned up. Why do I say that? Um, you know, he starts out in verse 5. The promise starts out, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. He's referring back to verse 4, right? Thus is the reference back. So let's look back at verse 4. He's been chiding Sardis because they've got this sin in the congregation. There are people who are involved in these, these wrong ideas and these wrong acts. In verse 4 he says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And then we have verse 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed, right? Referencing back to those who are in Sardis, who haven't soiled their garments, who will walk with Jesus. So I think we understand the cleaning up here that Jesus is talking about, the white garments. He's not saying physically, I'm going to give you this toga, right? Or you're going to wear a, I don't know if they're even popular today, right? These these white tuxes, right? Those are those are the big thing years ago, right? Where a white tux, you know, stand out from the crowd. He's not talking about clothes and making sure that your clothes aren't dirty, right? Um, he's talking about sin because he he says there are people in Sardis who haven't soiled their garments, right? Which means he's talking about their spirit 
and what they look like to him. You know, there are a few things that feel as refreshing, like after you've been working hard or playing hard, and especially in the summer, you're just nasty, dirty, you got, you know, grime under your fingernails, you've been digging around, well, I've been digging around in the flower beds trying to get weeds out, right? Then getting cleaned up, washed off, and clean clothes on, right? It's just this relaxing, great feeling to be done with that, to have put in a lot of work, right, and be done with it and be clean. Now, here in the South, that only lasts until you walk back out the door, right? We understand that, at least in the summer, right? You step outside, you walk to your car, and you need a shower again. But we know that feeling, right? As short as it lasts, we know what, that, what that's like. That's, what, that's the kind of idea I think Jesus is promising, but it's not short-lived, And it's not just a sensation of having accomplished some work in the yard and now I'm clean and I'm kind of done with that. I'm happy I worked and I'm glad to be done and and refreshed. This is overcoming life. This is overcoming sin. And I don't mean life, the good life. I mean overcoming this life and all the temptations that come at you. right? The physical life. Overcoming that and at the end of that, right, being at home where Jesus gives you this fresh cleansing and fresh set of clothes, and that sensation and that feeling lasts into eternity. It's, 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 for me, it's a very comfortable type of thought. It's a very comfortable thing to think about. Um, you know, one of my favorite uh, phrases uh, ha- about this kind of white, Garments is Mark's account of the transfiguration. If you want to look at it, it's, I'm just going to reference one verse, Mark chapter 9. The, the disciples see this, and Mark describes it this way. And his garments, this is Jesus' garments, his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Like, I always just think that that's hilarious. Like, why would he add that little thing in there like, I'm talking about launderers when you're you know, looking at the Son of God who's just been transfigured into his glory or as close to his glory as humans can experience, right? But that's the kind of description I see as like these same garments that Jesus is promising. And I think the text of the Bible bears that out. You know, John says um, in 1 John 3, verse 2, that we'll be like him when we see him. So the whitest white that Jesus wore in that transfiguration, that's the type of cleansing, right? And the type of new garments he wants to give us. So that's the first idea, I think, is the promise of home. place where you get cleaned up, but it's for good, right? And it's God who's doing the cleansing. The second is the residence of record, right? Home is where you reside by record. It's where you live. And we understand that. In reference to taxes and all this other kind of stuff, you know, you can go to DeKalb County and look up my address and see that I'm the owner of the house. You can see what I pay in taxes. You can see all kinds of details that the county keeps. And there's a lot of benefits that come with that record. There's a lot of responsibilities that come with that record. But it's not just, you know, homes and where we live. Um, That idea of sort of this recorded association... Um, 
people frame their degrees from where they went to school, right? I'm on the rolls at this university as having completed, right, this degree. And so we cheer for that sports team, right? I have no reason other than that to cheer for Georgia Tech. I mean, they disappoint year after year after year. Even in baseball now, it's kind of spilled over into baseball. They used to be this powerhouse in baseball. Not anymore, right? But it's just this association, right, by record. Um, you know, you, you've heard people who are members of clubs say, I'm a card-carrying member of da-da-da-da-da, right? Well, that card, right, invokes some record that this person identifies with and says, this is important. It's on record. I've got proof of being associated with this. Look, look later in Revelation now, Revelation chapter 20. I want to bring this idea back to this being recorded in the book of life as this record of association. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 12. And I, this is John writing. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you really think God needs a book to know who's saved and who's not? Like God is sitting on throne, his judgment throne. He says, all right, bring the book because I don't know who's what. I mean, I know i got sheep and goats before me here, but I really need a book to tell me who's saved and who's going into the lake of fire. Well, that's a silly idea. We understand that that's not the case. So why this imagery of this book? Right? I think the book represents something that's an objective recorded fact. Right? We do the same, well, we used to, now it's Google, but we used to say, go to the encyclopedia. All right, well, I mean, we had a set of encyclopedias. If I had a question and mom or grandma didn't know, they, all right, go look it up. I don't know. Right, go see if you can find it in the Britannica or whatever. Right? And if it was there, well, then that was gospel because you trusted those people who had recorded it to know what they were talking about. Right? As you get older, you understand that's not true and that... Humans put those books together, and there's mistakes sometimes, right? But you get the idea. There's no mistake in this book. Men didn't put together the book of life. And I think God bringing out the book of life and saying, let's lay this open, and let's make this visible to everyone, and make it plain that this is objective. If your name is in the book, you do not face the lake of fire. I don't think it's because God forgot. We, un we understand that. But I think the imagery is really important. In Revelation 20, the deciding standard about who is punished and who is not is whether the name is recorded in that book. And the promise given in Revelation 3 is that he who overcomes, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will not erase his name from the book of life. We'll have an objective recorded proof that heaven's my home and I'm supposed to be here. 
I didn't get here by accident. I didn't get here because someone overlooked something. I'm written in that book. Just as well as I can prove today to people in DeKalb County that I own that residence because it's recorded. This is something, right, that far exceeds that. This is eternal. My name's presence in the book of life is an objective statement of record that I overcame. God opens the book and says, these people overcame because Jesus didn't remove the names. You know, I'm not visiting heaven. I'm not passing through. It's home. It's where I belong. And God is the one who's instating me, who's putting me there. The final point is a very short one. And I couldn't think of a better way to word it, but it's just everybody knows your name. Home is a place where everybody knows your name. Um, and Jesus states it this way in, in, in our text. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now, again, I... I tend to think of these things in, in physical terms, right? So I'm walking around heaven, and Michael, the archangel, says, Hey, Richard, what's up? Like, you know, he knows my name. He doesn't have to come up and introduce himself and say, Hi, I'm Michael. Right? He's like, and I know there are lots of Richards, and I, I'm not saying that our name is going to be the same. I'm just saying we will be known individually by God and by the angels because Jesus is going to let them know who we are. And I know that kind of sounds like an introduction, which doesn't happen at home, but it's really the, the time, if you can think of it that way, after, right? When heaven has made our home, everyone knows our name. That's overwhelming to me, too. Like, first of all, Jesus announcing, hey, this is Richard's home, and this is Richard, and he overcame. Right? I mean, I know, I know too many times in life where I've sinned to think like I've overcome. But overcoming is not being perfect. Overcoming, right, is living with faith that Jesus can forgive those times that I have messed up. Right? And we know what part of that faith is. Part of that faith is belief in who he is. Right? We understand that. But it's also action because of that belief, that faith, um, which means repentance, um, seeking forgiveness through baptism, and if you're a Christian, seeking forgiveness through prayer, confessing him. Right? Jesus says in other places, if we confess him before men, he will confess us before his Father. That's exactly what's happening here. That's implied in overcoming that we confessed him here as our king, right? as our savior. So in conclusion, these were three quick points. Right? I think what Jesus is promising, at least what I read here, is he's promising home to us. 
a place where we'll be washed and comfortable and clean, right, after our work is done, after we've overcome. A place of where we will be residents by record. There's an objective standard written record that we belong there and he wants us there. And then finally, that everyone's going to know us. We're not going to be a stranger or among strangers. That's going to be home. And as I said, Jesus is only promising this to those who overcome. And there's only you and God who know if you are overcoming right at this moment. And what I mean by that is if you meet your fate, your life ends on this earth now or in an hour or whatever, whether Jesus would say this one overcame. No one around you knows that, or can know that, regardless of what you say and how convincing your argument might be. No one here can know, but you can know, and God does know. If you have any doubt that you are overcoming, do something about that doubt. Don't just... Be content with doubting and say, well, you know, there's lots of reasons for me to believe that I can figure this out later. There's no reason to put it off. You can talk to someone here. You can say, hey, just in general, I don't know if I'm overcoming. Right? Well, we can sit down with the Bible and find out. Give you the tools you need to examine yourself and see if you're overcoming. Because again, I can't tell you, here's a checklist, let's check it off. Oh yes, you're overcoming. doesn't work that way. does not work that way. All I can do is, to the best of my ability, present the word and allow you to self-diagnose if you're overcoming. And if it's not me, someone you know. Right? Talk to someone and, and let them know about your doubts. If you need to, we're going to sing a song here in a moment that's designed to encourage you to think about these thoughts, to examine yourself. And if you need to, talk to someone here. Do so before you leave. Or after you leave here, talk to someone soon about it. So let's stand and sing at this time.